it is, it is the new year. Turn it over a new leaf. Turning over a new page of your Bible. Uh, you can see where we're at today. But oftentimes, as, as we kind of tackle the new year, the same sensibility that I bring to New Year's resolutions, I weirdly kind of bring to Jesus. And, and let me explain by, by all of that. When I kind of think of Jesus, and, and when I'm not allowing the scriptures to really inform me, and, and I think about just kind of traditions over the period of my life that have, in a sense, shaped my, my, my idea of Jesus, I kind of view Jesus as a big reduction operation, right? There's God Almighty, but in order for us, you know, Lilliputians to be able to comprehend it, uh, God has got to kind of dumb it down, filter it down, and, and we get this kind of tiny little glimpse, uh, less than the tip of the tip of the iceberg that gets revealed to us. And maybe if we can kind of hang on to that, we might be able to extrapolate and, and know a bit better. And oddly, what Jesus does for me as well, I also think of as merely a subtraction or reduction operation. Like the main things that I, can, I think of is that he removes my sin. And, and that's the big one. And that he, he kind of makes me clean. He makes me pure. He you know, gives me the, the tabula rasa, the clean slate, where I can begin anew. But what he does for me is, I mean, yes, the, the fact that he forgives sins, like that's no small deal, right? I mean, if, if I were to be walking around with my sin, if I were to come in before the judgment seat with my sin, well, what, what do I have to anticipate except for raging fire of judgment that I know overwhelmingly I would deserve and then some and then some and then some. But when everything just becomes kind of a, a New Year's approach, everything is a, a resolution about reduction or subtraction, right? I mean, let's, let's face it. Most of the things that captivate us at the New Year is the 12 to 15 pounds. God forbid you smoke, right? That's always, all right, I gotta, I gotta stop smoking. Or I'm drinking too. I gotta, I gotta get 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 the drinking down. Uh, or you know, maybe even worse, you you might be in some sort of a flirtatious entanglement with with someone that you know has crossed some pure boundaries. Again, it's the removal of those things that begin to kind of urgently captivate us and think this is the year. This is the year that I don't become that kind of dirty flirt, that I don't you know, become that pariah of the office who has to go outside in the pouring rain to grab the cigarette, that, I don't, uh, that I'm not the kind of the sloppy drunk, that, that I'm not the, the, the sloppy extra 15 pounds jiggling that, that doesn't need to be. Right? Again, that's kind of, unfortunately, the best that the New Year seems to offer, rather than, wow, all that can be added. Yeah. All that can come flooding in. And, and in John 1 here, we're, we're going to start to see a beautiful reference to grace, a beautiful picture of Jesus. But if we don't read carefully, we could end up just making Jesus a reduction operation and his grace a reduction operation. So I'll, I'll show you what I mean as we go along here. Let's begin reading in John 1. In the beginning was the word. And during our midweeks, we'll get deeper into some of these really intense concepts that are here, uh, like the idea of the Logos, the Word, being God, with God, was God. And, in, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. 
Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And right away, we, we, we see something that we mentioned on Christmas, that life and light are correlated with one another. They're set in opposition to darkness. Darkness and death will be the oppositional uh, concepts throughout the Gospel of John. Uh, but, but here we have Jesus bringing light and life as he combats darkness and death. Amen. Verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. We're talking about JTB. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He only came as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everything was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then, parenthetically, John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. And then back again to the concept that was just at hand in verse 14. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. Law given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Now, there's a lot of really heady concepts here. And we, we covered some of that ground of darkness and receiving and believing a couple weeks ago on Christmas. And I'm going to kind of leave that with what we discussed at the time. But what I want to talk about now is this, this concept of, of fullness that seems to make its way through this passage. This is known as the prologue of the Gospel of John. If you ever go to, let's say, a Broadway play or even to some sort of an opera, in the beginning, there is a prologue that gives you kind of a sampling of everything that's going to occur through the rest of the play or the opera. And that's exactly what the prologue functions as here, too, is that it begins to give us the big themes and the big picture and even a, a, a sampling of what it is that we're going to experience as we make our way through this marvelous gospel. This gospel that was written probably a full 30 years after the other three gospels were written. We can do a bit of time tracking with John in his exile and back to determine when it is. And plus we have some early Christian writers uh, who were contemporaries of John and learned from John, who also testified to the idea that this was a gospel that was written in Ephesus while John was an elder in Ephesus near the end of his life after being released from exile on the island of Patmos, now back in Ephesus, and through the Holy Spirit, pens this amazing letter. And as he does so, the biggest thing that he seems to want to get through to us is for us to understand the fullness of Jesus. And here he begins right away 
with not only equating him with God, but calling him the very logic, the very logos of God, but, but on top of that, that he is the overflowing fullness himself of God. And, and that's, that's something that will come through page after page as we encounter Jesus. Many people throughout the Gospel of, of John will all be wondering, who is this guy? Who is this guy? Who is this figure? And more and more, it's going to be revealed. And it gets more exciting. And it, and it eventually becomes more than just exciting. It becomes incendiary explosive by the end, where it is now a life and death struggle, uh, which ends with, of course, the cross and ultimate life at the end of that. But as we just make our way through the prologue, my first point is all the fullness of God in him. You know, going back to some of my own misconceptions about Jesus is that I like to, I like to think of Jesus as just enough of God in human flesh for us to be able to kind of get all the cool stuff of God, to see the sweetness of God, to kind of see God in a way that we could, you know, kind of hang out with him at McDonald's and have a Diet Coke together or for you at Starbucks and have an Americano together. But for me, it's McDonald's having a fountain coke together and you know, kind of just being amazed at how insightful and brilliant and giving and loving and caring. What a good listener, but what a great insight uh, that he has and what beyond reproach. I mean, it, but, but my goodness, even to limit it to that, even to be like the best of all the best human beings that have ever made footprints on this earth is still such a far cry from what the words on this page are saying. Uh, especially when we're in verse 14 and 16, that he is the fullness. And he's not just the fullness of nothing. He's the fullness of God himself. Amen. Now, I got to give like serious footnotes to Mr. Bill Throne. He and I have been kind of talking about some of this as we've been getting excited about the Gospel of John. And in a few of these conversations, man, he, he really did spark some things. So if afterwards you think, man, you know, that was really kind of insightful. Don't ask me about it. You got the person. This idea that we can find out about God by looking at Jesus is at best part of the picture, right? Because you think, ah, you know, because even Jesus will say, hey, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But that's only part of the picture. And John's prologue helps us to see that it's only part of the picture. Because as Colossians 1.19 says, the fullness of God is in Jesus. And if we want to be able to really see Jesus, well then, look no further than all of God. You see, you see the, the big difference in that, in that idea there. This is not a reduction operation to be able to apprehend God. This is a fullness, expansive addition operation to be able to marvel at Jesus appropriately as we march through this gospel and really see him. Who we see here, when we see all the fullness of God, as we look at Jesus, we're looking at God himself. God, the creator. God who, with words, said, let there be light. And 13.8 billion years ago, big bang. And, and as a result of that, 100 billion galaxies, each with about 100 billion stars in them. Each star differing in radiance and brilliance from one another, all governed by perfect laws, and all of those laws so finely tuned 
that if even one of 100 of those laws of natural laws of the universe knob was, was dialed up or down even 10%, the whole thing would become crashing down. That God of Genesis 1, all of the astounding brilliance of his creation, when it's, when it's spoken of in Job, I love the way that it, it, it's, it's said there. God stretches the northern sky over empty space, hangs the earth on nothing. He wraps the rain in his thick clouds, and crowds don't burst with the, with the weight. He covers the face of the moon, shrouding it with clouds. He created the horizon when he separated the waters. He set the boundaries between day and night. The foundations of heaven tremble. They shudder at his rebuke. By his power, the sea grew calm. By his skill, he crushed the great sea monster. His spirit made the heavens beautiful, and his power pierced the gilding serpent. These are just the beginning. I love this. These are just the beginning of all that he does. Merely a whisper of his power. Who then can comprehend the thunder of his power? I love that. I, I like to think as Jesus comes on the scene here, that what we start to hear is ACDC, the song Thunderstruck, as he comes on. Thunder. I mean, but that, that's Jesus entering into the pages, and, and we cannot even begin to comprehend it, it says. It's merely a whisper of the power. Who can comprehend the thunder of, of his power? I mean, I love that. And then as he grieves the sin of mankind and comes to a place where he decides and can cover the entire earth with a destroying flood, but only to meet it with grace at the end in a rainbow, and a fresh start and a redo for all of mankind because he doesn't give up on us despite all of his power and my goodness, all of his patience as well. Amen. To be perfectly holy, perfectly insightful, perfectly logical and perfectly pure and to have like the apple of his eye, all of us continually just throw it back in his face with rebellion and yet, no, I'm going to try again. I'm going to give it another shot. And then using that special seed of Abraham and seeing it flourish and grow and expand and, and then to be refined in Egypt and then deciding it's time. It's time now to begin the plan of the redemption of all the nations. And I'm going to take my people out of Egypt. And then, wow, what it is that he does to take, at first it says the finger of God, and then the fist of God to take the only serious superpower on earth at the time and to bring all Egypt to its knees so that its slave ragtag population can proceed out with a high fist and a great victory march on out only to come to the Red Sea and face destruction as the superpower has mounted its chariots and are bearing down on this ragtag group of undisciplined, untrained people that have no chance against it, a real army. God then separates the Red Sea, brings his people through, and just as his people come through, and the superpower of Egypt bears down to destroy them, instead they are destroyed. As God sends the sea back, and then in celebration of that, as Miriam grabs the tambourine, and begins to sing Moses as well. 
begin to sing to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. My father's God, I will exalt him. The Lord is warrior. The Lord is his name. Thunder. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. Deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. By the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood up like a wall in the heart of the sea. The enemy boasted, I'll pursue, I'll overtake them. I'll divide the spoils. I'll gorge myself on them. I'll draw my sword and my hand will destroy those Israelites. But you blew with your breath and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who among the gods is like you? Who is like you? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. You stretch out your hand. The earth swallows your enemies. In your unfailing love, you will lead your people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble. Amen. The next episode of God that we are, have revealed to us that is so astounding is suddenly he is now making a covenant with these people. It's, a, it's go time. And they're going to be connected. The covenant is secured. And they are at Mount Sinai. And it says in Exodus 20, when the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. The whole mountain was trembling. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, oh, speak to us yourself, we'll listen to you, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Just hearing the voice of God, even a God who was making a covenant with them, they appreciated the awesomeness of God. Later in Isaiah, as, as God is working to redeem his people after many, many, many other rebellions, he gives Isaiah a little bit of a glimpse of himself. And it says, as Isaiah describes what he sees, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. Seraphim were probably fiery creatures that were, were angel-like. With two wings they covered their faces, two they covered their face, two they were flying, and they called to one another as they circled around the Lord. Holy, holy, holy is Yahweh Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Amen. At the sound of their voices... Just the angels' voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. And you can imagine Isaiah, and of course trembling, he says, Ah, oh, oh, woe to me, I'm ruined, I'm a man of unclean lips, I live among a people of unclean lips, my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty, humana, humana, humana. And then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar, touched my lips, and said, This has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away you are atoned for. 
We can go through this from angle after angle, again and again, whether it's a psalm that describes, God, you know me. You know when I sit, you know when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar, you discern my going out, my lying down, you're familiar. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it. You have me in before and after. You lay your hand upon me. You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made by you. Your works are wonderful. I know them full well. My frame wasn't hidden from you when I was made in a secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your earth saw my unformed body. All the days adorned for me are written in your book before any of them came to be. And how precious to me are your thoughts of me, O God. How vast the sum of them. This makes me tremble. God's thoughts for you. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. One last sentiment from Zephaniah. The Lord your God is with you. Mighty warrior. Mighty warrior who saves. Thunder. (laughs) And yet, he will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you but will rejoice over you with singing. What a beautiful picture. And this picture is so many faceted, we can't even begin to comprehend it. But I know one thing, it's a power beyond comprehension. And as Jesus will soon appear on these pages of John's Gospel, recognize that if you're going to really be able to appreciate Jesus, then you really got to be able to appreciate Yahweh. Appreciate God. Because Jesus is God. Jesus is all of that. And he contains all of that. He remains all of that. And he brings all of that as he comes to make intercession for us. It also talks in this fullness of him being full of grace and truth. This idea of being full of grace and truth, you know, sometimes we think, well, you know, he, he loves us and he's good to us and he forgives us. But, you know, he also kind of knows the score, right? He knows who I really am. But he still does all of that. That's watering it down. Let's just look at an example of God as he begins to predict these pages of the New Testament. As he's talking to Ezekiel, and he begins to talk about one of the most precious passages of the New Testament to come, and all of it to be brought into place by Jesus. Look at, look at this, full of grace and truth. I'm going to read from Ezekiel 36. It says, I will sprinkle, this is like the beautiful passage, right, of prediction in the Old Testament. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I'm going to remove from you your, your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Not only that, I'm going to put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to obey my laws. But he goes further than that in his grace. He then begins to talk of all that he's going to give them. Then you're going to live in a land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people. I will be your God. I will save you from all your uncleanness. I will call for grain and make it plentiful and will not bring famine upon you. If you're living in that culture, This stuff carries a lot of weight. I will increase the fruit of the trees, the crops of the field, so you will no longer suffer disgrace among the nations because of famine. 
How many people here are familiar with this passage? Even in a passing familiarity. So sure. But with your familiarity, brace yourself. Because look at the fullness of grace and truth. Here's the very next thing that God then says. Oh, and then when all of this happens, you will remember your evil ways and wicked deeds and you will loathe yourselves for your sins and detestable practices. I want you to know that I'm not doing this for your sake, declares the Sovereign Lord. Be ashamed and disgraced for your conduct, people of Israel. Peace out. <laughs> we talk about a balance of grace and truth. That God is not after some sort of a self-esteem mission here. He wants you to realize who you are in and of yourselves. And that all you get because of his own namesake, because of his love for you. In Deuteronomy 7, he says to these people, I am going to deliver you and I am going to be your God. Not because you're the most plentiful or not because you have it going on. I'm just going to do it because I choose to love you. Amen. Deuteronomy 9, he says, I'm not going to deliver you because you're so unrighteous or because you're so righteous. As a matter of fact, you're not. You are a rebellious people to the core. But everybody else is so stinking rebellious. Well, you know, I'll, I'll work with you. And I love you. Or, or even Titus 3. He saved us. Not because of any righteous works that we have done. But he saved us by his mercy. Amen. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewing of the spirit. Praise God that it doesn't actually count on any of us. Because my goodness, who could ever get to a place where we're deserving? And who after having received the grace could ever get to a place where we are deserving? Praise God that he is a God of grace and truth. And that for us, we got to be careful that in trying to understand grace, we don't swing the pendulum in an unhealthy way. And in a way that takes away God's deep desire for holiness. He values that that is who he is. And in, in our reception of grace, to lose sight of the fact that what is his intended effect of all of this, well, he, he wants us to realize that I want the intended effect for you to be more like me. Amen. That you would appreciate all that I do and in this loving relationship, really align yourself, not just with who I am, but, but what it is that I value and what it is that I love. And as you know that I love you, begin to love what I love. And he loves holiness. And then finally, my last reflection here that I think also is a bit of a mind blow for me is that his grace overflows onto his grace. What are you saying? Well, I'm really just restating what verse 16 says. Out of the fullness, again, that same concept, pleroma is the idea. It's a deep word. It's it's this idea of such a vast reservoir that is inexhaustible and has so much goodness and beauty and wonder and righteousness and value that, that it is overflowing and never ending. That, that is this picture of fullness that is being spoken of in Christ. That in Jesus' fullness, what do we get? We get grace in place of grace already given. This overflowing grace is overflowing unto overflowing grace which was overflowing unto overflowing grace. And again, I've shared this illustration before, but 
you know, the, the, the beauty of us living by the beach is that any of us can go and have this devotional by yourself, with your family, with your Bible talk, is, is go and have this devotional of being astounded by wave crashing upon wave, crashing upon wave, and everything that was there being cleansed. And that's always been my, again, my subtraction operation that I've held to. But as I began to meditate on this passage, I realized, wait a minute, what's the fullness? What's the fullness that's crashing in grace upon the last crash, upon the last crash of gift upon gift upon gift? Is his fullness my emptiness? I don't think so. His fullness is his righteousness. His fullness is his glory. His fullness is his honor. His fullness is, is all of God. His fullness is his track record of, of wonderful good deeds, pleasing to God and to one another. He has overflowed with, with all of this so that we can stand righteous. Again, it's, it's, it's often been my misconception that even the idea, and I'm going to use a kind of theological word here, but justified. Justified is a word that comes up quite a bit in the Bible. And there have been ways to kind of memorize this word, justified, just as if I'd never sinned. Not good enough. Because the word justify in the original language is exactly the same word as righteous. It's all about addition, not subtraction. It's not about losing 12 to 15 pounds. This is about you becoming a specimen who wins the Boston Marathon. Uh, this is about you adding to, to this degree that, that you are just a world beater. And, and this is the full operation of grace. The full operation of grace is not just that your mess is removed, but that all of the honor and dignity and wonder and righteousness and track record of Jesus is added. And so if I'm going to use this concept of wave upon wave or gift upon gift, it's not just that there's subtraction going on. It is. But what is left, if I wrote my sin on the sand and, and the wave took it away, what is left is not just plain sand. What is left is an affirmation about me from God. Maybe it says integrity. Maybe it says bold. Maybe it says honorable. But it's not just blank. And if we go into this new year thinking that we're just blank, well, then the best that we can hope for is, ah, oh, I was blank for a few hours, but then I, I soiled it with more sin. That's not grace. Grace is to be so overwhelmed with the fullness that has come gushing upon you, all affirming you're a masterpiece. Amen. You're astounding. You got what it takes. And again, I've already used that, that, that uh, surf analogy again. You know, think of, okay, I've, I've written in the sand and I've written shame. And the wave comes and it washes it away. But it doesn't just leave it blank. You go from shame to honor. I think of the, the shames of my life. Think of the shames of, of, of being a, a uh, thoughtless, inconsiderate husband. I think of the shame of checking out when my kids need me the most. I think of the shame even of the holidays, of having just anger boil up and bubble over to my extended family. These are all things after my baptism, right? But, but these are like real shames that, that, that attend to me. And yet, grace doesn't just simply give me a blank slate. Grace 
reminds me that that is who I would be. But instead, when the wave comes, instead of shame, it writes honor. Honor in everything that I would aspire to do as a husband, as a father, as a son, as a brother. Maybe it's rejected. And maybe that is something that you've felt massive number of times throughout life. But again, when grace comes upon you, it's not just that you're not rejected, but that indeed you are more loved than you could know. This is crashing grace upon grace. This is the fullness of grace. Maybe the, yeah, but just as I get that, I quickly write polluted with the steps of my life. And just as quickly as you can write polluted with the steps of your life, through what you watch or what you do or what you've uh, ogled, as quickly as that, the polluted is washed away. And pure is now the descriptor of who you are. Maybe it's broken. Maybe it's like, yeah, yeah, I get that. Those things are sin. But you know what? I've got mental health challenges. I've got health challenges. I've got deep issues that, that are emotional from, from my upbringing. Even that, you're not broken. In every way and everywhere where there's discernment and accounts, you're beautiful. But then I quickly write worthless as I realize the laziness of my last day. But yet God is quickly to help you to know, no, you are treasured. But nonetheless, even with all of that, off I go again, disgracing myself. And as quickly as I can, God crashing upon it with his fullness, helping you know you're dignified. At this point, yet again, God, surely now I'm disqualified. He says, no, you don't get it. You're chosen. Fullness of grace. Maybe it's, I'm just weak. I'm not cut out for this. But he helps you to know, more than you know, you're unstoppable. I'm just a failure. At the end of the day, if I look at the track record of my walk, it seemed to be that. It's like, no, you are his masterpiece. And truly you are. Everyone here, if you have really been born again of water and spirit, as we'll read Jesus talk about in just a chapter or two, if that really is the case, but, it, but if it's not, don't try to be all these things out of your own positive affirmations into a mirror each morning. That's not going to actually get you there. It's hard enough that it's actually by Jesus to accept it. It certainly is not going to come about by your own self-esteem reclamation project. Please, let this be a year that you look closely and carefully at really the shame and the disgrace and the pollution and the compromise and recognize this is the year where that doesn't just go away but where that is replaced with the fullness of his grace. It could be just just days from now, hours from now, weeks from now for anybody that because of the fullness of his grace, who you are is so remarkable and it is a masterpiece to say the least. And so as masterpieces, let me give us our our final challenge here. And I'll, I'll usually kind of have a hashtag life to the full challenge at the end of our lessons. But in this life to the full, you know, the passage ends saying that God's been made known. Jesus has been made known. Well, let's get to know him. He's been made known through these passages. So decide to start, and by the way, finish, a daily Bible reading plan. Get to know God. Marvel at this Jesus. Don't turn off the soundtrack as Jesus appears. Hear thunder as he comes onto the page. Be astounded at who he is. And with all of that, 
oh my goodness, the security of who we have as our Jesus, as our God, and who we are will really launch us into a life to the full 2019. Thanks. We're dismissed to fellowship.